What fresh hell is this? Mommy! Where are my damn glasses? Alicia, it's your mother. When you get a chance, give me a call, please. Thank you. Has anybody seen my phone? Mom! Mom! Honey! Oh, I think something's burning in the kitchen. Where are my goddamn glasses? Mama! Alicia, I just hung up with producers. They loved your read. They said you owned the room. Great job, sweetheart. But they're going in another direction. Which direction? Away from you. Oh, never mind. Oh, great. Found my glasses. Hello, I am Alicia Coppola. I am an actress and an author of Gracefully Gone on Amazon, hard copy, and Kindle. Shameless plug. I am a wife, a mother of three daughters, a chef, a laundress, a maid, a vacuumer of copious amounts of dog hair. But what I really am is a bootstrap bitch. I have pulled myself up on my bootstraps more times than I can count. Like most of my guests, I haven't always had it easy. Everyone has a story. Some of my guests are famous. Some are just famous in their own homes. Some are getting through or have gotten through major ordeals, and others are just trying to make it through Monday. All of their transformational journeys are inspiring, aspiring, and courageous. We who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps don't bitch. We do. Welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. My guest today is one of the funniest and most versatile people I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. And I also had the great pleasure of working with him as he played my husband, Leo Moscone, on our CBS All Access television series, Why Women Kill. Adam Ferrara, this guy does it all. He's a co-host of the U.S. version of Top Gear. He's a comedian with three comedy specials, a number one comedy album of the year. He's an actor known for his roles in Rescue Me, Nurse Jackie, Why Women Kill, and host of his own podcast called The Adam Ferrara Show, 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. But after listening to this episode, you're not going to want them back because listening to him talk is like being with a dear friend, which he is. Oh, and one other thing about Adam, he produced the opening of Bootstrap Bitch. That's how supportive this guy is. So here's Adam Ferrara. I am so excited to welcome my dear friend who I feel like even though I just met you, what, a year ago? I feel like we have been lifelong friends since we were eight and in third grade. First of all, you're a Long Island boy, right? Where exactly are you from? I was born in Hillcrest Hospital in Jamaica, Queens, and then my family moved out. My father looked at my mother when I was a little baby and said, neighborhood's changing, get in the car. <laughs> and we went out to Huntington. So I- uh, Oh, that's right, so Huntington. So where, where did you live in Huntington? Uh, Audubon Woods, right behind the Walt Whitman Mall off Jericho Turnpike. Walt Whitman Mall. I got my first period there. <laughs> Mazel tov. Right outside of Macy's. There you go. So mm -hmm. apropos for me, life-changing events at the mall. War Women is very big on Long Island, which I still don't really understand why, because if you ever see the people from Long Island, they don't really, they, they, it doesn't really scream poetry. You know, people from Long Island, Lisa, coffee after dinner! Captain, <laughs> oh, Captain. So funny, I lived in Huntington Village, you know, when we were growing up. You right. lived Ramos, there mm -hmm. was the movie theater on the corner there, there was the um, New York pizza right on on uh, New York Avenue. And mm -hmm. when I went back a couple of years to do, to do a reading of my book at Book Review in Huntington, I realized this place is filthy. <laughs> <laughs> like I had always, I had this beautiful bucolic idea of what my childhood looked like. Now I was from Huntington Bay. So that mm -hmm. was very pretty. Sure. 
think about Long Island is not pretty. No, no. Everyone thinks Long Island is like the Great Gatsby. That's the rich people out out at the, at the Gold Coast, like Lloyd. The Hamptons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to go through the hoi polloi to get there. It, it's like a jazz club in a bad neighborhood. You got to make it through the crime to make the club better. It's like, we made it through the crime. Here we are. So here's the thing about you. In the instant I met you, I recognized pain. Almost like I can smell illness. I don't know whether that's because I... Uh, are you like the cancer cat? Am I sick? <laughs> Is there something you want to tell me? No. You're waiting for this friggin' interview to tell me this? No, I really can. I really can smell it. I think it's, you know, from growing up with a dying father, you know, yeah. it's a bit of a dark art, but I recognized a kindred spirit. It was like a soul marriage. Right. As I got to know you and know about you, because of course, when I was reading with you, I of course had to Google you and go, okay, now who exactly is this guy? What has he done? It's the crying clown. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have both masks, the comedy and the tragedy, yes. You're an accomplished stand-up. You're at a, a, you have a brilliant mind. You are a very talented actor that I got to witness firsthand who has, you know, the range of the alphabet, which is, is rare. I get a sense that there was a, a fork in the road and you went right instead of left. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for the compliments. Let's, let's get back to the fact that you could see pain and you might be a cancer cat. Am I okay? You're fine. Okay, good. Now we can move on. I, I, I appreciate your kind words. And there was, there's definitely choices to be made. The thing that I think saved, not saved me, but, but put me on this course was my, my mom and dad. Because the choices that you can make, I was very, I was, I was very, um, I was more afraid of my father than I was of the world. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, uh, it, so when, like even going to college, um, I, I didn't think I was going to college because no one in my family ever did. You know, I come from a long line of you know, working people, you know, you go to work. My, I was going to go into the army. My father got out of high school, went to the army. Had, my, he was married and had a kid. So I was just going to go into the army after high school because that's what my dad did. He goes, nah, you're going to college. I go, why? He goes, because you can. I said, oh, okay. He said, look, it's my job to give you a better life than the one I had. So pay attention because I'm tired and I'm running out of money. So my father actually made, set the conditions for me to have a better chance than he did, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And the choices I got to make, I got support in those choices. And I think that's what helped me because I got out of college and I, I always worked. So I always had that work ethic. Even in high school, I was always, I was at the Wall Women Mall because that's, that's where I was. I was at, worked at a luggage store. Then I worked at a fence company. I was digging holes. I, even when I was going to um, college at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, it was a two and a half hour drive. I would drive home after my last show, uh, after my last class on Friday, and I would work all weekend at a fence company. I was driving forklifts, loading trucks, digging holes, and and so I was doing. I always worked. So when I got out of college and I told my father I wanted to be a stand up, he said, "Do it now." He took a long leash, took a long drag off his lucky. He goes, "Do it now. Just do it now before your life gets complicated." But if you're going to do it, you give it everything you got. Because the last thing you want to look at is an old man in a mirror and thinking to yourself, if I only tried a little bit harder. So he pushed me into doing stand-up. He didn't know where it would lead, but he knew that that's what I should be doing. So in, in answer to your question, could have gone either way. Yeah, I had the I had the rudder of my dad and I had the support of him uh, supporting me and giving pretty much giving me permission to go and do this. I don't even know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, Alicia. This is just this could be just be a phase. Just the longest thing I've kept doing. That's, yeah, it's a 30-year phase. How did you go from stand-up and being, you know, the funny guy into this really very spiritual, meditative, thoughtful person? Was there a point in your life that you turned to that for a particular reason? I wanted to, I wanted to get out of a, I wanted to be free of pain. 
I was uh, I was going through a bunch of stuff and I was on um, uh, antidepressants and I was on anti-anxiety stuff. And uh, I met my wife and I went, this woman makes me feel better than all these fucking pills. And I threw out the pills out. And I said, I got to find something else. And uh, I started meditating and I started meditating. I started meditating just to be free of, of pain. And then when I realized I was doing it for a purpose, I realized, okay, this is the next step in meditation is not to have an outcome, to disconnect from the outcome. And that just kind of helped. All the spiritual evolution stuff and all the stuff that I'm trying to figure out is just to be free of pain and anxiety. That's all it is, not to be on pills. Is your anxiety the cause of your pain? I'm sure it doesn't help. I can't see a positive thing was. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the worrying and the pain and the future thought and uh, and staying present and being grateful. A lot of that stuff is I can I notice it more easily th th since I've been meditating. What I've learned so far or what I've noticed so far is there's what is. And then the suffering comes from the stories that we tell ourselves about what is, you know, like what is right now. We're in a pandemic. OK, the story I'm telling myself is I'm never going to work again. All the money's going to be gone. And then you start on that train. Mm -hmm. Giddy up. And I'm riding this, this, this horse of fear towards a burning building. Right. So I guess my question then is, were you born like that? Because I kind of feel like I came out just worrying. Well, you don't know if you, I don't know if I was born like that. I know I lived in, in a house where that was, that was the group think. My mother was just like, we get, what are you doing? We're going to lose the house. And you don't talk to anybody. Like my father would always say, what happens in this house stays this house. You hear me? You don't tell anybody what we talk about. You're screaming and the windows are open. They can hear you. It's, 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 it's what you were, grew up with. What, what the unspoken communication in your family was will condition the way you process shit. We grew up in a very similar environment and talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I think that you have been able to tame the dragon. Well, I look at it this way. I'm like, just because the moon's up doesn't mean I got to be a werewolf. That's it's the difference between reaction and response. A react comes from a conditioned pattern and response comes from choice, you know, and a, the whole reason I did this, I need something to fight for. I was very lucky with my family because my dad, for good or for ill, my dad's my hero. And the good was it gave me a sense of, of character. It gave me an example of gallantry and it gave me, uh, it showed me what courage was. And the bad part was the yelling <laughs> and the worry uh, and the providing stuff. But my father always told me, because you want to live like a king, you treat your wife like a queen, then you build your kingdom together. I said, okay, because they work together. My, my, my mother and father, they were, they, my mother went, uh, her senior year in high school, she had an, uh, a graduation ring and an engagement ring, and they worked together. So there was no escape. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. They worked, and the, and the, the, the uh, my father did kitchens and bathrooms, and my mother went into design, so she would design everything, and my father would build everything. So it was a one-stop shop. The office was down the block from the house. Italians really don't travel well, Alicia. No, we're you like know? linen. We don't no. travel well. No. Columbus had to go to Spain to get the boats. So That's the farthest any Italian went. Yeah. So they all, they everything was always compressed, and they lived together, so... That kind of uh, having someone to fight for and fighting for my wife to provide and make her life better gives me purpose, gave me a reason to kill the dragon, to go out to be a better person. So I respond from the choice of this. I don't want to let this monster and the screaming and yelling into my house because my wife doesn't deserve it. I wasn't going to do it for myself. Does that make any sense? Yes. Yeah. So I wasn't going to. We've had this conversation before where you're fighting for your kids. You're fighting for your family. That's why you got to train your own dragon. You got, you got, you got to kill these monsters for, uh, to make other people better. That's, it's a weird form of selflessness, but it works for me. When I was listening to your podcast is, is, is brilliant. 30 minutes. Thanks, we'll yeah. never get back with Adam Ferreira, but you go from talking about cars from talking about 67 Chevy to talking with Edie Falco about 
meditation, enlightenment, being bigger than the dragon. What, what I was going for on the podcast was my house was always the, um, it was the center of the neighborhood because my, my brothers were in the restaurant business. I was started doing stand-up. So there was a pot of sauce boiling at 11 o'clock at night. So everyone was over the house. So what I wanted to do in the podcast was go from a uh, feeling I had when I was a kid. The best night sleeps I ever had was when I was upstairs. I was a little boy and I heard my mom and dad downstairs with their friends laughing. Mm -hmm. So that's what the first part of the podcast is about. It's my family. We talk about a, a subject. We, we, we laugh at life, whatever life is. And then I'll have a one-on-one -on -one interview with my guest and talk about their lives. And then like any good group of friends, we talk about them when they leave. So a lot of the stuff that you're talking about that comes up from going from making fun of each other and laughing to something that's very serious was stuff I heard as a kid. My father was like the crime boss of the neighborhood. Like everyone would come over around 4, 4 o'clock when the day was winding up and all the trucks came back in. I'd be putting tools away and people would bring my father a cup of coffee and tell him their problems. And he'd light up a lucky and he'd be like, all right, Alice, what's the matter? And they, people just pour their hearts out to him. I always heard the pain of being of the human condition and the fun and laughing of a family. So th those are the two things I wanted to put together in my show. And it's it's it just kind of happens because I, I think it's I was steeped in it as a kid. And I think that you also have guests on who, for the most part, can relate to that, share their own experiences so that we really get a glimpse into who they are. Not what I'm very, very disinterested in what people do for a living, unless it's something that it's like, you know, like what does Elon Musk do? Like, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know what he does. So I'm kind of interested in that, but. He's a fragrance, isn't he? He is, he's a fragrance. He's a dense amber and sandalwood combination. I'm just super interested in how people just get up and get on with it. Yeah. How do you get, how do you, how do you move past your own bullshit? How, yes. How do you move past your own bullshit? It could be like major. It could be trivial. It could be things you can control. It can be things that are, you know, that God just, you know, put upon you. Your interview with Edie Falco, I, I have a very distinct feeling that Edie Falco today in her fifties is not the Edie Falco that she started out as in her twenties, that there is an evolution that there is a moment in time that she went, huh? Yeah. Even when she talked about she had to actually stop chewing gum. Yeah, when, when we worked together on Nurse Jackie, she yeah. was, uh, she, she, she says this in the interview, she was an addict and the last thing to go, the addictive thing she had was the gum and she was chewing gum on the set. But yeah, that was her addictive behavior. And that's what, and that's what brought her to meditation and just in talking to her, you know, cause she's a friend of mine for years about it. It was a way to feel better. Like life is gonna do this. Life's either gonna push you to do something or beat you to do something. Life's gonna go on whether before you, it's gonna go on after you. I looked at life like this. It's not you, it's me. I have to adjust to this. Exactly. I have found through this process, when we were in the apartment and the house wasn't done and there was no work and I'm worried about money because I'm not, you know, I'm not exact, I might have to start turning tricks, which is fine. I can control my own hours. I have good health care. <laughs> and I have an alley. I have an alley two streets away from me. It's close to home. Okay. desirable. Right, so the um, euphemism will be, I'm going to the drive-thru. I'm going to the drive-thru. But I was sitting there and I was like, what else? I mean, locusts are going to fly out of my vagina. Like what next <laughs> is going to happen? And I was reminded when my daughter had emergency appendectomy, my husband, Anthony, who you know, and I went into the little chapel to just kind of, you know, throw up a you know, a couple of our fathers in a Hail Mary and the, the hospital priest came in and he asked if he could pray with us. And he gave me a sheet of paper. I still have it somewhere. 
about a donkey was in a very large hole in the ground. Nobody knew how the donkey got there, but the donkey is stuck at the bottom of this hole and no, everybody was looking at the donkey going, there's no way that we have the strength to get this donkey out of the hole. So instead of trying to figure out a way to do that, because they didn't have a crane, they had no, you know, no tools, they just started to pile more and more dirt on this donkey thinking they're just gonna put it out of its misery and bury it. Well, with every handful of dirt that was thrown into the hole, the donkey got footing so that it ultimately got itself out of the hole. And all the crap and all the dirt that everybody was throwing on it was actually saving it. So I had this moment where we were back in our house and I got up and I don't have a closet and I don't have any anything in my bathroom. I've got, you know, two sinks, no drawers, no cabinetry, no nothing. It's fine, whatever. I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. I don't know what's going to happen, but I was walking my dog and I looked up at the sky and I'm like, it is so pretty out. And I'm so grateful that I get to have this moment. And I'm so grateful that all of the dirt is being thrown on me because I know that at the end of this, I'm going to climb out of this hole being better for it. I think you, I hope you're right. I, I've never considered you a donkey, but now looking at you. I'm an ass. I can be an ass. I'm definitely <laughs> a smart ass. No, I think, I think that that's what I loved about that story was everything you were worried about is in the future and doesn't exist yet. The nice day was here. Yes, the nice day was here. And that's what I realized. Everybody's in a hole of their own making or God's making. But everybody has a story. It's like I always tell my children, because they always say to me, how come you're always so nice to everybody at Trader Joe's and Ralph's and you know, and you, you always smile and say hello. And I said, you know what, honey, I don't know what people are coming from and I don't know what they're going to. My smile is the only smile they see all day. Then that's what I've given them. So you did what you can do in that moment. You made that moment. Yeah. That, because, that's, because that's because everybody's in a hole. But that that's the the only sense of my anxiety comes from lack of structure. Lack of structure. So I have to put structure into it. And what can I do? And part part of the structure uh, to to regain when I feel myself spinning out. I was yes. okay. What can I do now? What action can I take now? And sometimes that action is just a smile. Sometimes that holding the door for a lady. Sometimes that action is just you know letting someone go ahead of you at a stop sign. Whatever that is in that moment, it gives me something to do when I feel. The moon is up and the werewolf might come out. I can, I can separate myself enough through meditation to know that, okay, I'm in that neutral zone. I can make a choice here. And the choice is what can I do in this moment to be positive and productive? And like you said, a lot of times it's just a smile. And that's what meditation gave me after a while is to take it easy on yourself. I end every podcast by saying life is hard. Take it easy on yourself. Because that's the first thing I learned was to take it easy on myself and just regroup and reconnect. Life is a lot like flying a plane. When a plane leaves an airport, 90% of flying is, is course correction because you're off flight. But you always end up at the airport if you do that. So if, if things are going bad, you make a mistake, just take it easy on yourself and get back to work. What you do with yourself, what you do with yourself to keep yourself out of spinning into the darkness. The, the image I always have in my head, do you remember A Perfect Storm, Mark Wahlberg? Love the girl, but I love to fish. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Nobody leaves Diane Lane in the corner. And that's the line that made the cut. But do you remember the end when he's dying and he's going, 
and you see the boat CGI uh-huh. and he's like in the swirl. That's my image that I use in my head to describe the way I'm feeling when I'm feeling myself ready to go into the fetal position. Um, Let me ask you this. Let me, what, what, what do you feel? Is it blame? Is it shame? Is it fear? What puts you into that position? When you use the word blame, you mean blame myself or blame, blame yourself? Yes. Do you blame yourself? All Are you ashamed of what you did or you're afraid of what's coming? All of it in various degrees. My first instinct is to blame myself. Then I beat myself up. Then I worry about the future. And then I, then I worry about not being able to provide because of me. So that's, that's the spin cycle I get into. Yes. So when I feel it coming on, I, what action can I take? What can I stop? I know I don't want to go there. What, where can I go? And I just do something. Take action. Worst place to live is in your own head. And if you don't take even, even if it's even if it's just as a, a notebook, writing in a notebook kind of helps me. Screaming and yelling into a notebook kind of helps me because I'm actually having a conversation with myself when I write. A lot of a lot of the paragraphs I write start out with fuck, 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 fuck. I never, I rarely go back and read them, but for that moment, I'm doing something and I'm getting it out. Find out what's going to get it out of your system. I would rather do that than be like Mark Wahlberg at the bottom of the ocean with his fish. Yeah, well, that's just know what your storm is. Know that you can separate yourself from your thoughts. That's one of the things that meditation helped me with. There's a point where you can observe your, you're in the witness states, you can observe your thought. Know your, know what your storm is? Know what, how your reaction to crazy is. Know what are you, what, what am I doing right now? to not be kind to myself, to beat myself up, to blame other people. What exactly am I yelling at? Boil that off because a lot of it is just preconditioned reaction. I remember I was shooting uh, Blood and Treasure and I was in Montreal and I was supposed to go do the kitchen and I couldn't go do it because, I don't know. But I remember screaming and crying and yelling at everybody, realizing that was not going to get me anywhere. And my husband said to me, you know what your problem is? Which one? Take a pick. (laughs) Pick a card, any card. Um... And he said, they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, you remain the age emotionally of the age that you started to use. And I think that I am still a 12-year-old girl whose father's just been diagnosed with brain cancer because I was never taught the tool. And I was sent off to boarding school to fend for myself. I was then went off to NYU. I was just, I've been fending for myself. So nobody taught me actually how to be a grown woman. Nobody taught me how to be a mother because my mother was not really there because she was taking care of my dying father. But, and I realized in that moment that he was so right that I had never learned the tools. I never learned, and even now, what my storm is. I ha- I'm getting a better idea, which is why I'm, I was interested in doing this podcast, in how people overcome, how they have the wherewithal and the self-awareness to identify the storm and what they do to get through it. And well, I think, I, think you're, I think that's pretty accurate. If you got that traumatic experience, and then your life changed after that party. I think that's pretty accurate. Your instincts are usually true. So emotionally, that's probably where I, I, I agree with your thinking. There's also a bunch of trauma that you're probably going to have to go through there. And the only way out is through. I mean, I found out when I was when I was a kid, I'm like, this doesn't work for me. And like I said, life's either going to it's either going to tap you on the shoulder. It's going to kick you in the ass. Listen, it's really self-serving. I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm going to learn from, you know, the next person. I'm, I'm going to learn. And perhaps by the end of this, I'm going to come out with some tools. I'm recognizing it all now. It's, it's, it's very interesting in this, in this quarantine where I'm so much with myself, you know, Wordsworth, the world is, is too much with us. I'm so much with myself that I'm, I'm actually learning more about myself 
and my ability to pull myself up and go, hmm, the, I can do better here during the last three months than I think during the last 10 years. I've learned to adapt. I also had to push things away so I could continue to behave put upon because that's how I saw my father. My father was always aggravated, put upon, and worried. The unspoken communication was, that's how you beat a man in a family. That's how you care for people. I also used to say that I, I you know, it was like my grandmother, she was always complaining. She was complaining mm -hmm. about everything, right? Just oh, yeah. My, 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 my mother, we have an embroidered pillow at the house. I bitch, therefore I am. I bitch, therefore I am, right? So my grandmother, we always used to joke that on her tombstone, it would say, see, I told you I was sick. Mm-hmm. She's complaining all the time with all of her ailments, which I also have. I'm, I have ailments all the time. So I always used to say that I would have like this Timberland when I was in my 20s because mm -hmm. I wore Timberlands every day, black Timberlands. And I would say it's like hanging over my head because I'm just waiting for the other boot to fall. But now I've got stilettos, change that. <laughs> and I'm not waiting for it to fall anymore because I want that image gone. I don't want anything hanging over my head like I'm waiting for something bad to happen. I, that's the way I grew up because yeah. that was, that's the way I processed the conditioning, uh, the, the environment I was in. Everyone's waiting for, every time the phone rings, I go, fuck, don't pick it up. And if the phone rings after nine o'clock, who's dead? That's the way my, mo my mother answers the phone. Well, we're not, we're alive and kicking. Yes, we are. I adore you. I thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for this. I think I would like to, to leave people with your wise words, like know your storm. Because yeah. if you know your storm, know the season it's in, then you can deal with the elements. Learn how to deal with your own bullshit. It ain't going to go anywhere. The only choice you have is the response to what is.